This morning's reading is from the Gospel according to Luke, chapter 8, verses 19 to 39, on page 1037 in the Church Bibles, page 1037, Luke 8, verses 19 to 39. Now, Jesus' mother and brothers came to see him, but they were not able to get near him because of the crowd. Someone told him, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to see you. He replied, my mother and brothers are those who hear God's word and put it into practice. One day, Jesus said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side of the lake. So they got into a boat and set out. As they sailed, he fell asleep. A squall came down on the lake so that the boat was being swamped and they were in great danger. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we're going to drown. He got up and rebuked the wind and the raging waters. The storm subsided and all was calm. Where is your faith? He asked his disciples. In fear and amazement, they asked one another, Who is this? He commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. They sailed to the region of the Gerasenes, which is across the lake from Galilee. When Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. For a long time, this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but had lived in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the Most High God? I beg you, don't torture me! For Jesus had commanded the impure spirit to come out of the man. Many times it had seized him, and though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he had broken his chains and had been driven by the demon into solitary places. Jesus asked him, what is your name? Legion, he replied, because many demons had gone into him. And they begged Jesus repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss. A large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. The demons begged Jesus to let them go into the pigs, and he gave them permission. When the demons came out of the man, they went into the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. When those tending the pigs saw what had happened, they ran off and reported this in the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone out, sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people how the demon-possessed man had been cured. Then all the people of the region of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave them because they were overcome with fear. So he got into the boat and left. The man from whom the demons had gone out begged to go with him, but Jesus sent him away, saying, Return home and tell how much God has done for you. 
So the man went away and told all over the town how much Jesus had done for him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So, as was pointed out earlier, uh, last week we started a series in Luke. Uh, We're in Luke chapter 8. We carry on uh, further into Luke chapter 8 today. And last week Paul was speaking and he was speaking about Jesus came to reveal and hide. If you were here last week, he was speaking particularly about the parable of the sower and spoke a lot about our hearts as well, didn't he? And how our hearts need to be transformed, need to be changed, need to be affected by the gospel. And I remember one thing that he said in there was how we need to grapple with Scripture. He spoke about Scripture and how when, when we read the Bible, we can't just like read it and then just move on, but we need to, to grapple with it, to let it be applied into our hearts. We're going to grapple a bit with the passages in front of us uh, this morning. In fact, the very first bit in the passage that was read out, and I'm not going to dwell on that too much because I want to get into something else later on in the passage, but there's that, convert, that, that little bit there about Jesus, mother, a- and brothers. Now, Jesus isn't dissing family there, by the way. We know that Jesus was, was very keen on family. In fact, even at the cross, was very concerned that there was someone to look after his mum. But what he is talking about there is, is priorities. And what he's also saying is, my mother and brothers are those that, that hear the word of God and do it, apply it, put it into practice. As Paul was saying to us last week. But when Paul spoke, this other thing, as I looked into this passage, came to my mind. In Mark chapter 12, When Jesus is uh, confronted, he's being questioned by the Sadducees, that that Jewish sect that were always trying to catch him out. If you want to know the difference between the Sadducees and the Pharisees, the the Sadducees are those that don't believe in the resurrection. You know where I'm going with this, do you, Richard? They don't believe in the resurrection, so they were sad, you see. (laughs) Yes, I'm here all week. No, I'm not, actually. I'm just here for 25 minutes. But when they were trying to catch, catch him out with one of those questions, his reply to them was, you do not know the scriptures or the power of God. You do not know the scriptures or the power of God. So last week we were thinking a little bit about the scriptures. Today, and this is the title that I've been given, Jesus comes with power. And so we're going to be thinking about the power of God today and particularly the power of Jesus. Let me just pray for us very quickly. Father, would you come by your Holy Spirit to us right now as we grapple with this passage, but as we consider the power that is in Jesus. May that same power, by your Holy Spirit, transform, challenge, encourage, and change our lives, we pray today. In Jesus' name, amen. So we have before us a, a narrative. What I like about narratives is you can take, go through them. This is storytelling. It's my favourite kind of preaching anyway. So I'm going to take us through uh, the narrative that we've got here and, and just talk about Jesus coming with power. And first of all, that first little story, we see Jesus coming in power and exercising power 
over nature. If you've got your Bibles in front of you, just open it up at Luke chapter 8. Jesus says to his disciples, let's go over to the other side of the lake. So they get into a boat and they set out. And as they sailed, Jesus falls asleep. A squall came down, it says, uh, some kind of storm on the lake. So the boat was being swamped and they were in great danger. That area is known for, was known for, sudden storms. It's It's a mountainous kind of region that's around there. I'd encourage you, if you ever get the chance... Some here will have done it. Go out to the Holy Land. Go out to Galilee. We've only been once, but I loved it. We'll have to go again, Helen, all right? Uh, But it's lovely being out there and thinking, Jesus walked around this area. And I love Galilee, looking across that lake. So I'd encourage you to go out. But it's known for storms suddenly kind of appearing because of that mountainous region. And this is one of those. What I also like is the fact Jesus is asleep in the storm shows how at peace he is in who he is. That Jesus can be asleep during a storm. I find that a little bit challenging myself. Some of the metaphorical storms that go on in my life, sometimes I'm waking up in the middle of the night. Jesus, give me that peace that you can give, that I can sleep through the storm. Anyway, so Jesus is asleep in the storm, and the disciples, who would have been fishermen, who you would have thought we would be used to storms on the lake, are getting really worried. Their lives are in danger. So this must be some kind of heavy sort of storm going on. And so they wake Jesus up. They wake Jesus up, and what does he do? He got up and rebuked the wind and the raging waters. The storm subsided, and all was calm. Where is your faith, he asked the disciples, and in fear and amazement they asked one another, who is this? He commands even the winds and the water. And they obey him. Interesting turn of phrase. Jesus rebuked the wind and the raging waters. Looking a little bit at that word, where else it's used in the New Testament. Funnily enough, and he doesn't use it in the passage we're going to get into, but often it's it's used where Jesus rebukes demons. The word is a kind of putting in place reordering things. Jesus is rebuking as if the wind and the waves are not doing as they should be. Jesus rebukes them, puts them in their place. And immediately, the storm subsides and it's calm. Back in Psalm 106, it says of God, to make his mighty power known he rebuked the Red Sea and it dried up. God speaks to the Red Sea, rebukes it and it dries up. Jesus, all these years later, speaks to the wind and the waves and just like that, the storm subsides. Interesting effects on the disciples says that they are in fear and amazement. Now that fear can mean a sense of reverence and awe, but it does also mean that sense of being a bit frightened by this. Imagine you were a disciple. You're in the boat, a storm is raging, you wake Jesus up and he speaks and suddenly all is still. Who on earth is this? 
Who is this person in the boat with us who can speak to the wind and the waves and they are stilled just like that? I don't know about you, I've been in a few storms, literal storms in my life. I remember sailing in a storm once and praying all night that I was going to get to a safe haven. It can be a frightening experience, but maybe even more frightening if someone in the boat then speaks to it and it all goes quiet. Who is this, they say. Well, we'll come back to that question a little bit later on because they seem a bit in awe and not quite sure who this might be. Of course, like I've just referred to Psalm 106 and with hindsight and as we read through the rest of the Scriptures and the rest of the New Testament, we can see that they grasp who this was. John chapter 1. John speaks of Jesus being God and through him all things were made. Paul picks that up in Colossians as well. We've sung about it, haven't we, already today? That this is Jesus, God, who comes in power, the Word becoming flesh, who can speak to nature, and nature obeys him. I think that Jesus is the kindest, most loving, compassionate, generous, forgiving person I have ever met. Ever met. Anybody agree with that? I'm so glad that at the age of seven, sitting here, I encountered Jesus for the first time in my life and he came in and for the last however many years it is, I've known him as that kind, compassionate, loving friend who has never let me down and has never let me go. But Jesus is also the most powerful person I've ever met. And if I'm not careful, excuse the cheesy phrase, but I'm sure you've heard it before, it can be Jesus Almighty rather than Jesus Almighty. I have to remind myself that yes, he is kind, generous, compassionate, loving, forgiving, and he's also very powerful. He's the most powerful person who has ever walked this earth. And by his Holy Spirit, this powerful, loving, kind, generous person is at work and living inside of me. I have to think of that as a bit of a corrective at times when I might get a little bit too cosy with Jesus. I wonder if you're similar to me. I wonder if you need to think that through a little bit. Have I become too cosy with Jesus Or I'm allowing for the fact that he's actually very powerful. Dare I say, I wonder if that's something that society or the church at large needs to be reminded of as well. That this compassionate, forgiving, loving, kind Jesus is also pretty powerful. Jesus has power over nature. Let's move on. To the second bit, the main part of this passage where it starts to get a little bit tasty, doesn't it? So they sail on after this literal storm. When they get to the other side, there's a bit of a metaphorical storm that Jesus has to deal with. They get to the region of the, the Gerasenes. Now, you, you can pick up and read this story in other Gospels as well. You'll find it in Matthew and Mark. As always with the Gospel stories, there's little nuances, different angles that are coming on. There it's often referred to the Gadarenes. It's the same area. Gerasa was probably a little village just by the side of the lake. 
And we know it's, a, it's an area that's a large, largely a Gentile area because there are pigs there, and we know that Jews wouldn't eat pigs, wouldn't eat pork. So therefore, it's a, it's a Gentile kind of region that Jesus has arrived in. So they get to the other side of the lake, and what does Jesus find? As he steps ashore, he is met by, what a lovely welcoming party, he is met by a demon-possessed man from the town. For a long time, this man had not worn clothes, Now, that would have been pretty offensive. He was naked. It was offensive then. It would be offensive now, wouldn't it, if any of us were in here naked? So there's this demon-possessed man who's, who's there, who meets Jesus naked. It goes on. For a long time, he'd not worn clothes or lived in a house, but he'd lived in tombs. In other words, he, he hung around in cemeteries. A demon-possessed naked man who hung around, hung around in cemeteries. And if we go on, when the conversation goes on between Jesus and the demon and the demons, as we find out, we hear that also he was fairly violent. Many times the, the demons had seized him, and though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he'd broken his chains, chains and been driven by the demon into solitary places. This is quite a frightening thing to come across when you've just arrived in a new region. This conversation that goes on between Jesus and the demon and the demons, and I say that rather than the individual man, because it seems to be here that the demons are using the man's voice in a conversation with Jesus. In fact, there's a lot of demons there, because when Jesus asks the name, he says legion. A Roman legion would have had thousands in. Back at the start of Mark chapter 8, references Mary Magdala, out of whom seven demons were cast. Well, this is someone who's got thousands, hundreds of demons. We don't know why. We don't know what his background was. We don't know what he'd been up to. We don't know how he'd been opened up to the demonic. But there's a lot of stuff going on there. Mark, I think it is in his account, refers to 2,000 pigs, that the demons are cast into 2,000 pigs. So whether there was a couple of thousand, we don't know, but it's a lot. And there's this conversation that goes on between Jesus and the demons. I'm not encouraging a conversation that we would have with demons, but this is where Jesus goes with this. And they plead with him. And this, I'm going to get into just a couple of things here that we can't answer all the questions here. For example, they say to Jesus, don't torture us, don't send us to the abyss. That's a reference probably to Revelation chapter 20, which is the ultimate end and place for the devil and the demons. A place yet for them to be in. If you've been in the church for the last year or so, we went through the book of Revelation. I think we took about a year to go through the book of Revelation. Uh, But if you want to, you can check this out in the evening service and you can hear a little bit more about this end time kind of stuff. So I'm not going to get into that now. But that's probably the reference here. Sending them to the abyss. Question, why doesn't Jesus send them to the abyss now at this point? Well, perhaps, I can't answer all this, but perhaps that's because there is still that moment in the future when that will happen. The time has not yet come. It's also the other side of the cross as well. We know at the cross, that's where the principalities and powers are nailed to the cross, it tells us in Colossians. Some commentators say, but actually they do end up in the abyss at this point because in Mark's account, it's a cliff, and they go off a cliff 
which represents an abyss and they drown. Who knows that? We don't know. But there are some questions there, and if you want to go down that particular rabbit hole, you can do, delve into that. But the point is, Jesus exercises power over the demonic realms here. He speaks... They ask for permission to go into the pigs. Notice he doesn't cast them into the pigs. And notice he doesn't drown them, but he gives permission. They go into the pigs, and the pigs drown. Jesus has the power, not just over nature, but over the devil and over the demonic. He casts out legions, a legion, thousands of demons from this man. He serves Notice on the devil, if you like, that there is a time coming when you will have no more power over this creation or any man, woman, or child. Amen? This is the Jesus that we worship. Just think about that. This is the Jesus that we worship, who has power over nature and power over the demonic realms. Not just the cosy Jesus who gives me a cuddle now and again. Forgive me if this is emotive language. But the Jesus who is powerful. And here's the point here. I said I'd come back to this question. Notice the disciples say, who is this? Who is this person who can speak to the wind and the waves and they obey? The demons are very clear who it is. What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, don't torture me. It flips between the singular and the plural. Maybe this was key demon on behalf of the others. Who knows? They know Jesus by name. They recognize him by name. Oh, and not just by name, but you are the son of the most high God. Don't be fooled, brothers and sisters. The demonic realms know exactly who Jesus is. Don't be fooled when you read about things in the press and, and well, Jesus was a, was a very good man and he, and he taught us some interesting things and, and well, we're not quite sure about the resurrection stuff whether it really happened, but here's the latest book and the latest development and the latest research from this bizarre little scroll that I've just found in the back room of somewhere or other. That's, that's the Jesus now. Demonic realms are very clear. They know who Jesus is. He's the son of the most high God. And when he speaks to them, they flee. Now that was true 2,000 years ago. That's true today as well. The great thing about um, St. John's is we have a mixture of different preachers here and different leaders. Well done, Charlie. It's the first time you led today, isn't it? So be encouraged. Just be yourself. But you're doing really well. Thank you. But we're all different. We all come with different skills, different backgrounds. That's the beauty of having different preachers. So this is just my background. So I'm no better than anybody else. It's just my experience. But as some of you know, not all of you, uh, I've been in some form of church leadership for about 30 plus years now. And during that time, uh, I led Cholton Blackie's Christian Fellowship for a number of years. And when you're in a form of church leadership, you do sometimes come across the demonic. I remember sitting in the church office, answering the phone, and someone at the other end of the phone went, 
Oh, good afternoon. Do you do exorcisms? Now, that's not a conversation I'd ever had before on the phone. And I said, uh, well, what exactly do you mean by that? And this lady went on to explain there'd been strange goings-on in her house. How she found out about us, she'd gone to Yellow Pages. This shows when it was, no mobile phones. We were Charlton and Blackheath Christian Fellowship. Maybe if we'd been below St. John's, you'd have got the call. <laughs> Anyhow, myself and uh, one of the other leaders in the church, Mike Leader, who some of you know, in fact he's preaching here in a few weeks' time, Mike and I went over to the house and we prayed in the house and we dealt wherever it, wherever it was. But we found on several occasions in individual ministry with people, people who had come to know Jesus as Saviour and Lord, but because of some of the baggage, some of the stuff in their lives, in their background, now be clear here, not everybody, but sometimes, people who'd been mucking around with witchcraft and Ouija boards, or people who'd been in some form of sexual deviance, I'm just saying how it was, we would sometimes find that there were some demonic strongholds there. I have no power over nature. I cannot speak to the wind and the waves and then obey me. Nor do I have power over the demonic. But I know someone who does. And we found, and I've, again, it's just my experience When I've mentioned the name of Jesus to someone in a demonic place, they come back. Well, not they come back, but the demons come back. Don't mention that name. Don't mention that name. So, of course, we mention that name again. Come out in the name of Jesus. The demons knew then, the demons know now who Jesus is, the Son of the Most High God. There's power in Jesus' name. It's not a clever thing. It's not just like we tack it on the end of the prayer. But Jesus is incredibly powerful. Let's not forget that. Powerful over nature, powerful over the demonic, powerful 2,000 years ago, and still powerful and at work today. I'm going to say it again. Amen. Amen. Thirdly and finally, if we want to make this a little bit more comfortable now, Jesus has power over the demonic. He has power to change lives. Let's not forget where the focus ends up in this passage. Go off at different tangents and it's all there. But look at the effect on this man. When those tending the pigs saw what had happened, they ran off and reported this in the town and countryside and the people went out to see what had happened and when they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone out sitting at Jesus' feet. No longer running around, no longer running around, sitting at Jesus' feet. Sitting at Jesus' feet and, and indeed clothed, dressed. He was naked before, presumably, I'm guessing, one of the disciples of given him some clothes to put on. No longer has he thrown them off, but he's sitting there in his right mind, dressed at Jesus' feet. In his right mind. It goes on. All the people of the region asked Jesus to leave them. Those who had seen it told the people how the demon-possessed man had been cured. (laughs) They're afraid again. That word creeps up once more, but not afraid because... 
the demons had gone into the pigs, but afraid because somebody had been able to sort out a legion of demons in this man and put him in his right mind. They were encountering Jesus again. This man, though, had been transformed, hadn't he? This poor man who, for however many years, had, been, had his life wrecked and racked by the demonic, had been transformed and was dressed so in his right mind. I thought about the song we were singing earlier, uh, In Royal Robes I Don't Deserve. He's now re-robed, if you like, dressed. And what's his response? What would your response be if you'd lived all that time in a cemetery and not known what was going on? What would your response be if you encountered this man who changed your life? I think it would be similar. Can I follow you? Can I get in that boat and go back with you? That would have been mine, just like it was with Mary Magdalene, who I referred to earlier. She followed Jesus around everywhere because he cast seven demons out of her. In fact, she was there, wasn't she, at the resurrection, becomes the first evangelist because of that. You'd want to be with this person forever. Initially, disappointingly from the man, Jesus' response is no. Well, no, not literally. Literally, don't follow me but you will follow me now because what I want you to do is this. Return home. Wow. He hadn't been home in years. He'd lived in cemeteries. Return home. Can you imagine how his family felt when he walked back in, dressed and in his right mind? Return home and tell how much God has done for you. And so the man went away and told all over town how much Jesus had done for him. Wow. What a transformation. Can you imagine how the family took it, how the rest of the town would have responded? Who, who is it? It's Jesus. Jesus has done this. Jesus has changed my life. No one else could. Nobody else could do anything like that, but Jesus has. He becomes an evangelist himself. That's the power to change lives that Jesus has. That same power at work today for us. And I say that to anybody here. If you're here for the first time, if you're not yet a Christian, come and speak to one of us afterwards. Jesus wants to come in power and transform your life today. Doesn't matter, I mean, hopefully you've not got any demonic stuff going on. Doesn't matter, whatever your background is, the questions you're asking, the confusion you have, the direction you're going, you think this doesn't quite work. Jesus has power to come and transform that and give you hope and a future. And make you feel loved and forgiven and healed. And make you an evangelist as well. That's the Jesus who's present here by his Holy Spirit. Please, talk to somebody afterwards if that's you. He can come into your life today and make a difference. And for the rest of us, think about the power of God at work in your life. Perhaps open yourself up a little bit more to how he can transform you and indeed transform me. That's what I'm praying. Think about that power to change lives and think also of the power of this man's testimony and your own testimony. doesn't matter how exciting or how boring it is, you have a testimony of what Jesus has done in your life. Wouldn't it be great if we chatted a lot more about Jesus? The great thing is Cholton didn't play this weekend. So we can't talk about the latest 
win or loss. So let's all talk about, Chol- uh, talk about Jesus afterwards instead of Cholton. Yeah? But seriously, what do you think the early church spoke about? They spoke about Jesus all the time. What's Jesus doing in your life? How is he transforming your life? Let's talk about Jesus. Let's tell others about Jesus. Let me give one final story about the power of testimony and then I'm going to close. One of the things uh, some of you know I'm involved in chaplaincy within sport and within football particularly and a few years ago I was asked uh, by the head of um, equality and diversity at the club we were doing an interfaith event I don't know what you make of those but we were doing an interfaith event at the club during interfaith week. He rang me up he said we're going to have all these different people of faith coming along and uh, we're going to talk about things. He said, at the end of it, I wondered if you could get two Muslim players to come along and speak about their faith. This is a phone call. And I said to him on the phone, I said, well, I could, because we had some Muslim players. I said, but as it's interfaith week, why don't I get one Muslim and one Christian to speak about their faith? He went, that's a good idea. I thought, surely the clue's on the tin. It's interfaith. But anyway... Yeah, do that. So I asked one Christian and one Muslim. We came to the end of the day. We talked about all kinds of stuff. And there were Christians there and Muslims and Sikhs and Hindus and lots of stuff that we could agree on morally. And at the end of it, I did this very controlled interview. That's what they wanted as chaplain. So I said to the Muslim player, I said, uh, can you tell us what your faith means to you and how your faith has helped you in football? And he started and he he said, uh, I I was born a Muslim, I will always be a Muslim, Uh, it's brought me these tenets in my life and I've lived by it, etc, etc. It was all all good stuff. I then turned to the Christian player and I said, so Frank, the same question to you, could you just say what your faith means to you and how it's helped you in football? And this is how we started. I was not born a Christian, but I am a born again Christian. And he then spoke for five minutes about how Jesus had transformed his life. In this interfaith event with hundreds of people there from all different faiths, I'm sitting there praying silently with goosebumps, thinking, I've just uncaged a lion here. Because Jesus was just being spoken about. Because when you start speaking about Jesus... When you know Jesus, when it's not just somebody in a book, but you know that power of Jesus and how he's changed your life, he starts to work in other people's lives. Some seeds were sown that day that are perhaps being reaped, I don't know. Let's be a people who know the power of Jesus in our lives, are prepared to talk about that power, and take away the stigma. Yes, let's talk about God, but come on. Let's talk about Jesus. There's no other name given to men and women by which we must be saved. Amen? Amen. Thank you.